Hey, everyone. Glad to see all of you. <clears throat> uh, wow. I, uh, this is my last week with you. And got Jeff Bucknam coming, guys. Come on, everyone go, yay, yay. I'm really happy about that. I just did, I did want to say thank you to all of you and to all the campuses uh, that are watching this now. I so appreciate the privilege I've had of getting to speak a number of times since the wintertime here with you uh, at, at Harvest. And let me just say, I have been really touched and uh, I'm grateful because I have hardly ever seen a congregation that so longs to know the Word of God and so wants to obey it. And so thank you for giving me the privilege of, of being able to talk with you about God's Word. So, uh, and also, I want to say thank you to my friend Mike Van Lanningham, uh, who's on staff here at Harvest, because probably without him, that would not have happened, that I, would not have, I probably would not have spoken. So thank you, Mike, for having me. And if you're interested in ever hearing Mike and I teach together, a great way for Harvest to do that will be to go to Israel with us uh, in about a year and a few months. In October of 2022, we've got an Israel trip planned. And believe it or not, it's filling up. And so if you're interested, uh, Mike and I will be teaching through the land of Israel. And uh, every site uh, is sort of like a a living classroom, where it happened, we're going to teach about what happened. And it's a, it's a great, great opportunity for anyone to go to Israel. And I think it's especially good to go with Mike B, uh, who wears his Indiana Jones hat and lets everyone know what's happening at all places. So uh, here's my question for you. What is the most unquoted, unused Bible promise? You know, people ask me Bible questions all the time, but I'm never asked, what's your Bible question? That's my Bible question. What is the Bible promise that people least cite or claim? The least claimed Bible promise. I'll tell you what it is. It's John 16, In this world you will have trouble. That's a promise that Jesus made. And none of us wants to quote it. Do you ever notice that? We don't want to claim that promise. But it's really true. In this world, we will have trouble or tribulation. Uh, maybe you notice we're living in troubling times. There's a global pandemic that we're just barely coming out of now that has caused the death of millions across the globe and over 600,000 people here in the United States. Uh, Nationally, I believe our country is more divided than almost any time in its history since the Civil War. Uh, between the racial division that sprung up or actually came to the surface with the death, the horrific death of George Floyd last year, the political division that has gotten worse and worse, I believe our national motto is being denied. E pluribus, e pluribus unum, no, no, out of many, one. Out of many, many is what we have. Great deal of division. And uh, frankly, congregationally, this congregation has experienced some troubled times. The year before the pandemic and then the pandemic coming right after that, people are still troubled. Many people dropped out uh, for a variety of reasons, but it's been a troubling time for Harvest Bible Chapel. 
personally, people have faced financial crises in the last year or two, interpersonal problems, health struggles. It's a troubling time, and for our family, the last year and a half, for Eva and me, have been especially challenging, very troubling. Uh, just before the pandemic, Eva was diagnosed with cancer. It was her third major cancer, unrelated each time, uh, or fourth, fourth major cancer, yeah, fourth. Uh, and uh, during the pandemic, she was on chemotherapy, and I, she and I had to be very, very careful because she had no immune system during that time. Uh, and just at the start of the summer, we felt we were coming out of that. Well, last summer, she then got uh, sick. She got a kidney infection, ended up with sepsis, and almost died. The doctor said, good, you got her to the hospital. Most people don't make it to the hospital. And then uh, uh, this uh, June, she was diagnosed with another form of cancer, unrelated again and she's not here today because she's just recovering from surgery. Uh, really, really tough time for us. Uh, the good news is none of those cancers are related, so there's no metastatic cancer. She just is apparently prone to cancer. Uh, but it's been hard, and during the, the, the trouble last year, when she was on chemo, when she got sepsis, a friend of mine uh, shared gave me Psalm 77 to start meditating on. And uh, it's really important that we have something to look at when we face troubling times. If you have ever had a troubled heart, and troubling times like this cause troubled hearts, cause hearts that are disappointed with God, become hearts that become disillusioned with our faith, with our walk with God. When, when that happens, we need encouragement. So my friend gave me Psalm 77. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I read Psalm 77 and I said, was that in the Bible before? You know? I, I don't remember ever reading that before, but it so spoke to my heart and I have been living in Psalm 77 uh, this past year. It's a passage that's really, really meaningful to me. And for that reason, since this is my last week, and I know that Pastor Bucknam, Pastor Jeff, is going to be finishing the book of Ephesians. And so I thought he could start in Ephesians 5. And I want to uh, help us all be encouraged by reading and studying and looking at Psalm 77 with you, which I've called a song for troubled hearts. Uh, in this psalm, written by Asaf, if you know who Asaf is, it says at the top... Uh, a psalm of Asaf. Asaf was a musician, uh, a good psalmist who wrote several psalms. He served as a musician in the reigns of both King David and King Solomon. I don't know what was distressing him or what was distressing Israel, but he gives a great model for how to respond to trying times and troubled hearts. What should we do when we have troubled hearts? This passage gives us three ways, this song gives us three ways to respond to troubled hearts. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to read the whole psalm. And why don't we stand together and open your Bibles to Psalm 77. I'll read, you follow along. I'm reading from the ESV. 
And uh, in verse 10, I'm going to read the footnote instead of the text. Okay? So if you say, where is it coming from? I'm reading the ESV footnote. Okay? I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled, I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? This is my grief, that the right hand of the Most High has changed. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the water saw you, O oh God, when the water saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Yet, your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Have a seat. This psalm, as I said, gives us three ways that those of us, when we have troubled hearts, can respond to God. Three steps, I guess, we could take. The first one is this. We need to express our troubled hearts to God in prayer. If you look at verses 1 through 10, this is his prayer. He talks all these things about I cry aloud, uh, I seek the Lord, I stretch out my hand, I remember, I meditate, so forth. Uh, and you see his prayer in verses 1 through 10. And I made Two quick observations, not to reread each verse there that we just read. Two quick observations. First, when I look at this prayer by Asaf, it tells me that we need to pray with persistence. We need to pray with persistence. Take a look at all the words about prayer. Verse 1, I cry aloud. In verse 2, I seek the Lord. In verses 3 and 6, he says, I remember God, I meditate. 
What I find is that when we get into these down places, these distressed situations, these difficult circumstances, when we're downcast, the last thing we want to do is pray. Have you ever noticed that? It's like, we want to, no, no, I do not want to talk to you, God. It's because when we pray, we feel as if no one is listening, like we're talking to the ceiling, so we quit. But this passage gives us the example of persistent prayer. In fact, many of the Hebrew verbs where he expresses his prayer is a form in Hebrew that, that expresses determination. Uh, these forms, they're re used repeatedly three or four times in the verbs. Uh, it, I looked it up in the advanced Hebrew grammar just to make sure I remember my grammar right, and it's, the grammar actually says that this verb form uh, expresses the direction of the will to action and denotes self-encouragement or resolution. Resolution, I will cry out to God. In the day of my trouble, I will seek the Lord. This is determination, persistence. No matter how it feels, we still have to seek God. Uh, sometimes we don't wanna. You know, we think of uh, classic uh, for my culture, I don't wanna be a nudge, you know? I don't wanna bother God. Then there's the other thing I once heard a comedian talk about how God's busy with important things, not our stupid stuff. Don't bother telling God about our troubles. Tell my friend Rudy, he doesn't have a job. He can listen. But God does intensely care. He deeply cares. Uh, Tim Stafford, who I, I recently reread his chapter about prayer in the book Knowing the Face of God, tells us that we need to persist and this is what he says. We don't pray to tell God what he does not know, because he knows. Nor to remind him of things that he has forgotten. He already cares for the things we pray about. His attention to them has never flagged from the beginning, and his understanding is unfathomable. He has simply been waiting for us to care about these things with him. And then he gives the example of persistent prayer in the life of his grandfather, who is, was a missionary, Presbyterian missionary, who had a stroke. And for 10 years of his life, he lost his ability to speak. He could, he could speak, he is, actually his brain was coherent, he could think, but when he spoke, the circuitry going from his brain to speech came out as gibberish. So he knew what he was saying, but no one under, understood, he was just speaking gibberish. And also, when he wrote, he just wrote random letters. He couldn't write coherent words. It was gibberish. But he understood everything. Imagine how frustrating that would be. But what his grandfather could do for those last 10 years of his life, when called upon, he could pray. He could stand up and lead in beautiful coherent prayer. That was the only thing he could do. They thought it was a miracle. But the doctor said that what had happened is he had been so faithful and so persistent in prayer 
that the circuits running from the brain, the prayer circuits he was using for prayer, to his speech were not affected by the stroke. That was a man who was persistent and faithful in prayer no matter what happened. Oh, that should be us. That we pray, even in troubled times, so persistently that it will never be affected or hurt. We will pray. The second aspect of this prayer that I think is so crucial is that we need to pray with transparency. We need to be honest with God in prayer. Look at the the psalmist here and how he is transparent with God. It says in verse two that he refused to be comforted when he prayed. That's a choice. I don't want comfort. He says that when he thinks of God, he moans. His spirit faints. He says he is so troubled, he can't speak. Then he expresses all his doubts in verses seven through 10. He says, God will, he wonders, will God spurn him forever? Will he never ever again show grace or be favorable? Has his loyal love ceased forever? That's what steadfast love, loyal love. Has his, he's really saying, has God's loyal love proven to be disloyal? Uh, are his promises at an end? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he ceased being compassionate? Imagine how he feels. Have you ever felt that way? Getting rocked and rocked and rocked and thinking, God, this is not the God I signed up for. Doesn't feel like it at least. And then verse 10, which I'm not sure why the ESV translates the way it does, but the footnote is right. In verse 10 it says, this is my grief. It's actually, this is my piercing. This is what has pierced me that the right hand of the Most High, that means his strength, that the right hand of the Most High has changed, that it doesn't exist anymore, that there is no strength from God. I look at this prayer and I think, wow, that is honesty before God. And sometimes we think God can't, well, we don't want to have that kind of honesty with God. Why is that? I think of the movie A Few Good Men. There's that climactic scene when uh, Jack Nicholson, the character he plays, looks at the attorney and he says, you can't handle the truth. That's what we think when we're praying. God, I'd like to tell you this, but you can't handle the truth. He absolutely can handle it. He wants us to express our prayers this way. He wants us to be open with him. He want, now you say, wait a minute, but Job, he got in trouble for doing that. Job got in trouble for demanding that God answer him. That's what Job got in trouble for. Asaph isn't demanding answers, he is just expressing his pain. And God longs for that. God wants that. We need to be honest, transparent in prayer. God is powerful, long, uh, powerful enough and loving enough to want to hear the heartbreak of his children. He wants to hear it. And I think we need to express it. Let's not become sanctimonious in prayer. Let's be honest in prayer. When our hearts are broken, 
we need to express that to God. When we're disappointed with him, he needs to hear it. He wants to hear it, and we need to express it. So, first step when we are troubled hearts is we need to express our troubled hearts to God in prayer. We need to keep praying. We need to pray honestly. Secondly, we need to meditate on God's powerful works as revealed in Scripture, as recorded in God's Word. The reason I say that, look at verses 11 and 12. He says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders. I will ponder all your works. Notice he's looking at all God's works. I will meditate on your mighty deeds. The word meditate is exactly the same word that's used in Psalm 1 about the man of God who meditates on God's word day and night. Now think about this. Asaph is remembering, he's pondering, he's meditating on all God's great deeds. And then when you keep reading from verse 13 onward, what he's talking about is the exodus from Egypt and the parting of the Red Sea. Now, so what is he remembering, pondering, and meditating on? He's, he's thinking about the Exodus. And this is crucial. Asaph lived 400 years after the Exodus. It's not part of his experience. It's not part of his memory. How does he know about the Exodus? How does he ponder and meditate on these things? from God's word. He's reading the book of Exodus and he's seeing God's outstretched arm, God's powerful hand saving Israel. That's what he's doing. He is in the word of God. If we wanna understand God's true character of love when we feel troubled by his actions, when we feel he has abandoned us, what we need to do is go back to the word we need to keep reading what God has done. Now, obviously, Asaph went back and read Israel's excuse me, great redemption event, the Exodus, passing through the Red Sea. But we have an even greater redemption event, one that that foreshadowed. We know about how the Messiah has come and died for us and rose again and delivered us from sin we need to go back and read in Scripture God's great deliverance. We need to keep in the Word of God, not quit. Uh, of course, what we do when we're hurt, when we're broken, kind of close this book up, we say, well, I'm going to put that away for now. I'm just going to watch TV. No, we need to read the Scriptures. I got a new car in February. Uh, pretty cool car, a Subaru. It's got so much electronic gadgetry, it comes standard. It's like, wow, nothing seemed to work. Nothing. I'm plugging things. You know, I put my, it's supposed to have the Apple thing work. No, not working. It's supposed to have the garage door go up and down by pushing a, nothing worked. I thought, I'm going to take this car back. The gadgetry doesn't work. Then Eva made this really good suggestion. Why don't you check the manual? So there I am sitting in the car with the manual. Oh, that's how you do that. 
all of a sudden, everything's working. Do you know what that was? Operator error. That's the words, the two words. Operator error. I didn't understand the car, so therefore, I wasn't using it right. When we have these terrible, troubling times, we stop understanding the true nature of God. We think he's forgotten to be gracious. We think he, he doesn't care. We think he won't show compassion anymore. We think his strength has abated, right? Where are we gonna find out where God really loves us? Where are we gonna find out about his true nature and his true character? We need to read the manual. We need to read the manual. So the second way we respond, prayer, read the word about God's great deliverance. Third step is we need to recognize God's different path through troubled times. In verses 13 through 19, it describes God's way, God's path. And what I looked at that is that is not the path I would choose, but God's path is different. God's way is distinctive. It is, it is just not at all what I would choose. But he chooses it, and he's got a purpose for it and a plan in it. And it's different than any of us would choose. So I would like to look with you about five distinct characteristics of God's path, God's way. And the first one we need to look at is in verse 13, God's way is holy. See what it says there in verse 13? Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great, like our God. Uh, the word holy, which does have the sense of righteousness, and I think we need to remember that when we have troubled hearts, we tend to want to accuse God, and this verse is affirming that God's way, no matter how it is, it's righteous, it's without sin, it is wholly separate from sin, it is holy. But it also has this sense of being distinctive. When we think of the word holy in Hebrew, it means not just apart from sin, but distinctive, separated. That's why basins in the tabernacle could be said to be holy, an inanimate object, because it is distinct, separated out just for service in the in the uh, tabernacle. So when it says your way is holy, it's not just saying it's without sin, it is saying that it's set apart or distinctive, uh, that it's different than what we would expect. This is not the path that we would choose, we sometimes think. Uh, even I often say, uh, yeah, this is not what we would choose. This is not the path we would have chosen for the last two years but it is God's holy and distinctive path that he chose for us. It's his path. And because of that, we have to keep reminding ourselves God's way is holy. He's got a different kind of plan for us. And I keep uh, finding comfort from a quote from the letters of John Newton. I don't know if you know who John Newton was. He, says, uh, he wrote Amazing Grace. Here's what he said. Let us suppose the thing we are most afraid of actually happens. Can it come a moment sooner or in any other way than by his appointment? That's his path. 
Is he not gracious and faithful to support us under the stroke? Is he not rich enough to give us something better than ever he will take away? Is not the light of his countenance better than life and its most valued enjoyments? Every time we see God's path is different, distinctive. We need to be reminded that it's a good path. Not the one we'd have chosen, but he did. Second, God's way is powerful. If you look at verses 14 and 15, God is the one who works wonders. You make your might known among the peoples and you redeem the children of Israel. It's gonna talk about how scary it gets even further uh, in verses 14 and 15, but here is emphasizing his power. Uh, where it says in uh, verse 15, with your arm, uh, that refers to God's strength. With his arm, you redeemed your people. Uh, I think what this is thing for us to see is that sometimes we're in troubling circumstances, difficult times, just to see how powerful he is. Every time the Lord delivers us from troubling times, it's, a, it's another evidence of his great power. Things that are impossible, he delivers us. And we get reminded of his great power. Uh, this last cancer was Eva's fifth major cancer in 29 years. Uh, each of them different and each one cured. Now why do I mention this? A friend of mine wrote saying he was praying while Eva was in the hospital and said, sorry to hear about Eva's new bout with cancer. On the bright side, her pursuit of the record for cancer recovery seems to be going well. And that's true. Every time we think, well, this is it. In fact, the very uh, first time, it was stage four, and they, they said she had about a year to live. That was 29 years ago. I had two little boys. I just didn't know what I was gonna do. God was powerful in delivering her, and he keeps powerfully de delivering her. People, let's look back at our lives. Every time, this is not the first time we've had troubled hearts, is it? This is not the first difficulties we've ever faced. Has God not been faithful, showing his strength to bring us through? God's way is powerful, and it's done this way to remind us just how powerful he is. Third, God's way is often through danger. Look at verses 16 through 19. Uh, it talks about the flooding of the, the water saw you. This is the waters of the Red Sea. The, the deep trembled. And though the text doesn't say in Exodus that the sky had this terrible rainstorm uh, and the crash of the thunder and the lightnings, which are mentioned in verses 17 and 18, it does say in Exodus 14 that the Egyptian army was terrified when they began to see what was going on. And I think it was because not just was the sea going to part, but that there was all these other events happening, the lightning and the thunder. And this was a scary time, not just for Israel, but for the Egyptian army, if you can imagine it. And uh, 
it seemed dangerous. Uh, as dangerous and terrifying as it was, it says your way was through the sea and your path through the great waters. I can't imagine what it's like. We think danger, when we go to a dangerous path or a troubling path, that it's random, meaningless, that just these things happen. They don't just happen. They're part of God's path. He puts us on a dangerous path. I can't imagine that. Uh, they're not random. Uh, we talked about, even I were talking about this, about how scary this last event was. And she quoted, she teaches a course in C.S. Lewis, and she quoted to me from Mere Christianity. Why now? Because God is forcing him on or up to a higher level, putting him into situations where he will be very much, where he will need to be very much braver or more patient or more loving than he ever dreamed of being before. It seems to us all unnecessary, but that is because we have not yet had the slightest notion that the tremendous thing he is doing, the tremendous thing he means to make us into. That's what it says. So we go on a dangerous path, every one of us, and these events happen, and we think, what are we, what, what's going on? Where are you, God? And he is saying, this is what I am doing so you can see how powerful I am, and you can rely on me, and he's going to bring us through. He wants to transform us by trusting him through dangerous paths. It's frightening, but it's true, and we need to have a, a bit more, we have to be very much braver, is what he says, what C.S. Lewis said. Fourth, God's way is hidden. That's the end of verse 19. I love this, it says, yet your footprints were unseen. God led Israel through the Red Sea. He led them, right? There were no footprints. It's not like he was going in front of them and you could see, oh, there's the footprints. And when I read that, I thought of that old poster about footprints. You know, when was there one set of footprints, right? That was when I carried you. That's not what this passage is saying. It's saying you couldn't even see the footprints, but I do have a more favorite view of that footprints uh, poster. It's my child... I never left you. Those places with one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. But that long groove over there is when I dragged you for a while. <laughs> the second part, that's me. But this passage is actually saying his footprints were unseen. Think about it. It's like having GPS or Waze or Google Maps, right? Uh, imagine Israel, we've got the Google Maps on, on our iPhones, and they're going through the wilderness, and they notice we're up against the Red Sea, and by the way, the Egyptian army is right behind us, the mighty Egyptian army, and they start going, I don't think, the, I don't think this, these Google Maps, this GPS isn't working. This is not the path I would choose. And we think God is leading us. Where's that pillar of cloud and pillar of fire? Why did it bring us here? His footprints were unseen, but he is leading us nonetheless. Uh, as we go through troubling times, we need to remember 
that the GPS is indeed working, that God's leading is really working. He sees the entire picture. In uh, the last battle, King Tyrion says, we must go on and take the adventure that comes to us. But courage, child, we are all between the paws of the true Aslan. That's how we go through it. He leads us, but his footprints are unseen. And then lastly, God uses people. It says in verse 20, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. God indeed led Israel through the Red Sea. You couldn't see his footprints, but whose footprints did you see? Moses and Aaron. God uses people in troubling times to be the ones that will encourage us. God always uses people. We need to make ourselves available to those who are going through tough times. We need to be the ones, we need to be Moses and Aaron to them, help them through it. God gave us some really terrific people to do that with us. Uh, I'm sure in your own life, when you've gone through troubling times, there are people that have jumped in. We need to choose to do that too. And we also need to receive the fact that people want to help us. When we're going through troubled times, receive it. Don't, don't do the, I am a rock, I am an island. God's people are there for us to help us through. God uses people. God's way uses people. Here's what Psalm 77 is saying. When our hearts are troubled, we need to keep on praying. We need to keep on reading scripture. We need to keep on following God's path. That's what Psalm 77 is saying. Don't quit. So, now what? Some real quick takeaways. First of all, if you're in a troubled time right now, or if you ever go through them, keep praying honestly. Don't quit, even when you don't feel like it, even when you feel those prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Keep praying honestly. Secondly, stay in the word of God. Stay in fellowship where the word of God is taught. Stay in the word of God. It is the sole source of input that's true in all ways. Stay in the word. And third, receive encouragement by reviewing God's past rescues in our lives. Obviously, they thought of the exodus. We think of redemption from sin, right? We need to keep reviewing that. We need to go over that. But I want to suggest that we each, if you've never done it before, Now's the time to go back and think through all the times God delivered us and brought us through in the past. Write them down. And from now on, always write them down. It is the most encouraging thing to go back and see all the ways that God has showed his strength and power through really scary times in the past. Look at God's actions in the past and receive encouragement from that. Okay, now I want you to quote from my all-time favorite movie. You can do it with me. Actually, it's my, probably my third all-time favorite movie, The Wizard of Oz. We're going down the path that God has put us on. Troubling times, difficult paths. What's on these paths? Ready? Lions and tigers and bears. 
lions and tigers and bears. Lions and tigers and bears. That's what the path seems like, doesn't it? Filled with lions and tigers and bears, right? Living in this world will put us on scary paths. Remember this. There's someone who is always present. Maybe unseen, but absolutely present with us. Who's leading us on this path. One of my wife's favorite verses is Psalm 25:10. All the paths of the Lord, even the ones with lions and tigers and bears, even the ones that are frightening, even the ones we dread the most, all the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth. Psalm 25:10. Let's pray together. God in heaven, we thank you, Father that you are a powerful God who's strong, who's able to bring us through these paths and that you use your people to encourage us. Oh God, I just pray for each one here. If they're not going through a troubling time, they have gone through them or will go through them. If their hearts are not troubled now, they will have troubled hearts. Oh, Lord, for those who are struggling right now, help us to see your strength and your power in your word and in our lives. Oh, God, bring us through this difficult path. We thank you for that, that you did it through our Lord Jesus. We give you praise in his name. Amen.